Jesus, the one that we just praised, the one that we just sang about, he changed the world by being intentionally relational with people one-on-one and one at a time. He challenges his disciples with this very same approach in John chapter 13. After they eat what is referred to as the Last Supper, Jesus then washes their feet. And he tells them this message, and it's going to be on the screen. I want to ask that you guys read this out loud with me, please. Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So Jesus called this a new command, but it wasn't really new. Loving others was something that had been talked about for ages. So what made it new? Jesus says what's new is that you are to love the way, the same way, identically, of how I have loved you. This is how the world will know that you are mine. Jesus did not tell them, hey guys, here's the plan. After I leave, I want you to go ahead and separate into as many groups as you can, and we're going to call these groups denominations. Please spend thousands of years arguing and fighting with one another over who's right and who's wrong. Whatever you do, don't focus on what's most important. Instead, focus on your own personal opinions and your personal preferences. By your fighting, everyone will know that you are my disciples. He didn't say that. He also didn't say, the world will recognize you as my followers by your self-righteous indignation and by your moral superiority. People will really be drawn to that. So please stand on your soapboxes and scream angrily at as many people as you disagree with. Be as judgmental as you can to all of those quote-unquote sinners, and you throw your rocks and you let them have it. That will really show them how to love like me. Thankfully, he didn't say any of those things. He said, if you want to change the world, then love the way I have loved you, one-on-one and one at a time. This series that we're in, it's all about evangelism, and we are learning practical ways to share our faith with others. So that leads to the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning, and it's very simply this. What does love require of me? Say that out loud. What does love require of me? You see, I think it's easy for us to say, oh, I love Joe, I love Debbie, I love them, but then ignore what they are going through, ignore their hurts, ignore their needs, ignore their pains, ignore their situations. And a lot of times, we don't ignore them, the people that we love, intentionally. We don't do it intentionally, we don't do it on purpose, but we do it because we get too busy, We happen to overlook them because there's too much going on in our lives. We get too comfortable with how things are going in our life to step into their world. Is anyone else like that? Or is it just me? We get too busy. We overlook the people that that we love. We say we love, but we just ignore them. As we read throughout the Gospels, we find that Jesus made time for the people that he loved. And he was fully present He was fully present in their needs. Knowing that, I want you to think about the question again. What does love require of me? I would say this. 
To love people well requires being intentionally relational with them. That's the whole idea this morning, to love people the way that Jesus did, the way that changed the world. It requires us being intentionally relational with them. That's why relationships matters. That's how Jesus lived his life. So I want to give you four practical ways that you and I can love others well and how we can be intentionally relational. If you're taking notes, go ahead and jot this down. The first way, and these are not ground-shaking, they're very elementary, very basic, but I promise if we put them into practice, we're going to make a huge splash just like Jesus did. So the first thing that you need to do to love others is show up. Everybody say show up. You show up in their hurt. You show up in their pain. You show up in their messy life. Life is full of many twists and turns that are often unexpected. So when the unexpected happens to someone you love, you show up for them. This is what Jesus does in Luke chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. Luke chapter 8, we're going to spend some time this morning breaking down this text. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. We'll begin in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. That's how many people were surrounding him. So understand the context here. Jesus was originally in Capernaum teaching and healing people, and he'd been there a while. This is kind of where his his home camp was, his base was. So after healing and teaching people for weeks and multiplying food and feeding thousands, he then gets on a boat and he sails across the Sea of Galilee, which is about 13 miles wide, about seven miles, uh, 13 miles long, seven miles wide. And he's sailing on this little boat. This massive, nasty storm comes. He calms the storm. When he arrives on the shore, Jesus walked a few miles to a different town, and he healed a demon-possessed man that nobody could heal, nobody could handle. He sent the demons from this man, the legion of demons, into a herd of pigs. The pigs run off the edge of the cliff. They all die. The people see what Jesus does, and they get very afraid of him. They're like, "Uh, we don't want what you're offering. Please leave please go. And so Jesus walks a few miles back to his boat, gets in the boat, goes back across the Sea of Galilee, back to Capernaum, and this is where this huge crowd of people are waiting for him. Needless to say, Jesus had been very busy, and I'm sure he's ready to catch his breath just a little bit. Put yourself in his sandals for a moment. It would have been easy for Jesus to say, look this, to this crowd, look, I love you. I love you, but... Man, I'm really tired. Can I have a nap? I love you, but I have been preaching nonstop. I've been traveling everywhere. I've been casting out demons. I've been healing people. I just need a few moments to myself. That's probably what I would have said. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I love you, but just give me a moment. However, Jesus didn't. He showed up for the people who were hurting regardless of how tired or how busy he might have been. We learn that this synagogue leader, he bows at Jesus' feet and he begs him to heal his dying daughter. And verse 42 says, as Jesus was on his way, meaning he didn't hesitate. He didn't have a second thought about it. He gets off the boat 
And even in his tired state and maybe in his exhaustion, he doesn't hesitate and he starts following Jairus. Can that be said of you? That you show up for people without hesitation. I love the way the message paraphrases John 1.14. John writes about Jesus, the word. Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He showed up and he was intentionally relational with us from the start. So the lesson for us is this. Don't make excuses. Don't say, I love you, but. Don't say, I love you, but, because that's not sacrificial love. That's convenient love. It's loving when it's convenient for us. Jesus loved people sacrificially. He loved them intentionally. He loved them relationally. He loved them without exceptions. And I believe that nothing shows you care more than just showing up for someone when they are in need. And it reminds me of a situation that happened a few years ago with some very good friends of ours. Here's a picture. This is Mark and Mel Verberg and their two precious little daughters. Uh, Mel served on staff with us at the church that we previously worked at, and they were our best friends. I mean, we did life together. We were in small group together. We did everything together for 11 years. They were our closest friends. The people that we called when we needed something, they called us when they needed something. Well, about a year after we moved to Ohio, Mel's dad died very unexpectedly, and she was extremely close with him. She was devastated. She was crushed. We heard about it. We FaceTimed. We called them right away and spent some time praying with them over the phone. However, while they appreciated the phone call, my wife, Bree, she knew that it wasn't enough. And I'll admit that she is much better than I am at dropping what we've got going on, whatever it is, and showing up for someone who's in need. I just think more logistically about it, and I tend to look more at the hurdles than the hurting. Anybody like that? I tend to look at the hurdles more than the hurting, but thankfully, my wife pushes me out of my comfort zone, and she gets me to go and do things that I didn't plan on doing. So I'm working on it. I'm changing. You can work with me on that. So nothing was going to stop Bree from getting in the car, driving to Virginia, and going to that funeral. So we changed our plans for the week. We made arrangements with the, with the kids. They were in school. We gave them to Jeff and Brenna, and they stayed with them. We packed up the car. We loaded up, and we drove seven hours from Ohio to Virginia, showed up on Mel's doorstep unannounced. We didn't let her know that we were coming. So as soon as she opens the door, she saw our faces. She just lost it. She wept. We all embraced we all cried, we laughed, and then we cried some more. We didn't have to say a word. All we had to do was just be there in her time of need. That's what mattered most. So our presence spoke volumes without ever saying anything, and it showed how much that we cared for them and how much we truly loved them. Bob Goff wrote a great book a few years ago called Love Does. Very simple, short read. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to pick that up. In the first chapter, he tells a story of how his spiritual leader showed up for him during a difficult time. And then years later, he reflects on that experience and he writes this. He said, I learned that faith isn't about knowing all the right stuff or obeying a list of rules. It's something more. Something more costly because it involves being present and making a sacrifice. 
Perhaps that's why Jesus is sometimes called Emmanuel, God with us. I think that's what God had in mind, for Jesus to be present, to just be with us. It's also what he has in mind for us when it comes to other people. I couldn't agree more. Love shows up. Love says, doesn't matter what's going on in my world, I'm with you. I'm with you. So if you want to love others the way that Jesus does, first of all, you've got to show up for them. Secondly, you've got to be real. Everybody say be real. Part of being real is being transparent. It's admitting, look, I don't have everything together. My life is not as perfect as it may appear. You struggle, I struggle, just like everyone else. So Jairus, this high-ranking religious official, somebody that everybody knew in town, everybody looked up to him, he was a person of stature, he let everyone know he was struggling, and so did someone else in this story. Let's pick up in verse 43. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, behind Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. I love this interaction here. In this woman's desperation, she has the faith to believe that all she has to do is just touch, touch a piece, a sliver of Jesus' clothing, of his fabric to be healed. And that is exactly what happens. Instantly, Jesus felt the power leave him. And instead of continuing to Jairus' house, that was where he was headed, he stops and he asks this person who touched him to make themselves known. In verse 47, we see that this woman was real with Jesus. Here's what she said. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. She was real with Jesus. And in return, Jesus was real with her. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, no matter who you are, every one of us, every person on this planet, we have the basic need, the desire to be seen and heard. This woman was an outcast because of her condition. Think about it. 12 years of bleeding, which made her ceremonially unclean, which means she could not be around anybody else 12 years on her own. 12 years without the hug, the touch of another person. 12 years of suffering alone and being rejected until Jesus showed up. And although he knew who it was that touched him, Jesus is the son of God, he's all known. He knew who had touched him. I believe he wanted her to share her story so that others in the crowd could see her and hear her and recognize her. And moving forward, they could rejoice over the miracle that Jesus had done in her life. And then they could welcome her into their relationships, into their families, into their community because she had been outcast for so long. And that happened because she chose to be real and honest and open about what she was struggling with. 
Also, part of being real means that we don't always have to be right. Can I get an amen? Amen. Part of being real means we don't always have to be right. Listening to people's problems is more important than proving your point. Listening to people's problems is more important than proving your point. Don't be that person. Don't be that guy or girl who has to be right, who has to get in the last jab, the last word, because what that does is it shuts the door for evangelism. If you always have to prove your point, you will never get an opportunity to share your faith and to talk about Jesus. So put into practice that old but very true saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In other words, invest in people first. Invest in people first. So what can you invest in others this week? Can you invest your time with them? Maybe an afternoon or an evening. Can you invest a meal, inviting them over to your home and breaking bread together? Maybe you can invest some resources that you have. Maybe you can invest a job opportunity. A friend of mine named Ty, he was telling me just a few weeks ago about a man that he had just hired named Jimmy. Jimmy is a former felon. He spent five years in prison, but he completed his time and he wanted to get back into the workforce. Ty described him as extremely persistent. In fact, Jimmy showed up at the office of his door for three weeks in a row begging Ty for a job, begging him for a job. So Ty took a chance on him because of what he saw, because of his persistence. And he found out that Jimmy was an extremely hard worker, very dedicated, very relatable. He was a family man. He's got a wife and a few kids. And maybe, Ty said, Jimmy might be the best hire ever for our company because of his work ethic. Ty told me that he sees so much potential in this former convict where everybody else simply overlooked him. So Ty is choosing to get out from behind his desk. Ty's like the boss, the the owner of the company, or, or at least high up. And he's getting out from behind his desk. He's going on the field, which is not in his job description anymore. He's going out to spend time with Jimmy to personally train and invest in him. And he shared that he's growing that relationship. He's making these steps so that he can eventually ask Jimmy the question, Jimmy, do you have a relationship with Jesus? That's an example of showing how much you care before sharing how much you know. So I'm going to ask that you guys pray for Ty and Jimmy and for their relationship. The third way to be intentionally relational is to be encouraging, to be encouraging through your words and actions, just as Jesus was with Jairus. Look at verse 49 and 50. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from their house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. So I envision this moment playing out that, you know, Jairus gets this news about his daughter dying and Jesus just wraps his arms around him. He's just healed the bleeding woman. He's just hugged her and she's gone on her way. And now they're, they're marching to Jairus' house and he gets the news. Jesus just wraps his arms around him, hugging him, encouraging him. Just believe, have faith, believe in me. Reassuring him that everything is going to be okay. You know, everyone we meet is carrying some kind of load, some kind of burden that is too heavy for them. 
Even those who appear to have it all together have something weighing them down. So how can we lift up someone else's burdens? Well, it's as simple as just speaking a kind word to them. The Bible talks about this often. Proverbs 15 verse 4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Ephesians 4, 28, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful, useful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So I want to challenge you to text someone today, make a phone call write a note, an encouraging card, or actually show up to somebody's house and spend some time visiting with them, talking with them that is in need. Somebody that's hurting, somebody that's carrying a burden that you are aware of, somebody you love, text them. Give them a word of encouragement today. Don't let that opportunity pass you. So we can encourage others with our words, but we can also encourage them through our actions. And these are our art cards. You've seen these before. We've talked about them. Our ARK Acts of Random Kindness. There's a ton of them over at Starting Point. So please, I want to encourage you to take some of these as you leave today. Take a lot of these with you. We can't really talk about encouraging others without mentioning Acts of Random Kindness. Now, random simply means that the person we're serving, they don't expect it. It doesn't mean that we're not planning it, right? Of course, we're planning what we're doing. It's not random on our part. We're intentional about who and what and when and where and how we're going to serve and encourage these people and encourage others. Ultimately, showing kindness means thinking about the other person more than you think about yourself. What are their needs? How can I help and make their lives better? And it doesn't have to be huge. It can be something small, but it does need to be intentional. It does need to be intentional. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love is not self-seeking. If it's not self-seeking, then what does that make it? Selfless. Love is selfless. So practice being others-focused. Because when you decide to be encouraging with your words and with your actions, you open the door to have many conversations about faith. I'll just give you one, one quick example. So uh, tragically, about 10 days ago, um, our oldest daughter, Paley, seventh grade, our middle son, Pryor's in sixth grade, and we've got a younger one who's in fourth grade. But one of Pryor's classmates and friends, one of his teammates on the football team committed suicide about 10 days ago tragic just wrecked the faculty and the staff and obviously all of the students uh, very upsetting time and so we tried to help the best we could cope with them and pray with them and and provide resources and do whatever we could with our children and then with others that we knew about the funeral was uh, a week ago uh, today and part of how Paley and Pryor decided to cope with this and encourage others was that uh, they made bracelets with his name. His name was Andy. So they made bracelets at the house with Andy and put hearts and made it with purple and white beads because purple was his favorite color. So they made 10, which they take a little while to make them. They made 10 the first night and they took them and gave them to their closest friends. And as soon as other kids saw it, they're like, hey, can you make me one too? 
So they came back and uh, got home from school, did their homework. They made another 10 bracelets, went back, gave all those out, and then came back home the next day, made another five or six. So they made 25 or, or 30 of these bracelets and distributed them to their friends, and it was really impactful. And prior said that, Dad, while I gave them the bracelets, I also invited them to church because I felt like they needed that, which is awesome for a sixth grader to do. And lo and behold, two days ago, two days ago, Pryor gets a text from another classmate, a friend, uh, the running back for the football team, um, super athletic, but their family does not attend church anywhere. They've never been to church. And he gets a text from this guy and says, hey, Pryor, can you remind me of when the service times are because my family and I are going to come today. Praise God for that, all because they chose to be intentional and be encouraging. Just a simple, intentional act of making a bracelet opened up the door for conversations about faith. And that leads me to the last point. If you really want to love like Jesus loved, if you really want to be intentionally relational, then you must share truth. Share truth. And that's what... uh, we just talked about. Zach mentioned it during our worship time. What is truth? The truth is the good news of salvation. It is the gospel message that we live by every single day. It's what Jesus tells us in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And sometimes when you share that truth of Jesus, guess what, church? You're going to get laughed at. You're going to get made fun of. Has that ever happened to anybody? You stood your ground, you shared your faith, you shared truth, and you've been made fun of or mocked or ridiculed. Hands up. Anybody? Yeah, a lot of us in here have experienced that. Well, guess what? You're in good company because Jesus was laughed at as well. Let's wrap this story up. Look at verse 51. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing, and they were mourning for this daughter, for this girl. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead. She's just asleep. Verse 53, they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand, and he said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. So church family, here's what I want you to know. Do not let people's laughter, do not let people's criticism, do not let people's judgment or their cynicism stop you from sharing the truth about Jesus. You keep sharing that truth regardless of how they respond. You keep sharing that truth in love with everyone because their laughter, their ridicule, their cynicism, their judgment cannot change the reality that Jesus is the Son of God. It does not change the reality that he is the Savior of the world. It does not change the reality that he is going to come again soon and that they can only be rescued through him. Those are the facts that will never change regardless of what people believe about it. So while people may disagree with the facts, they may totally disregard the truth. They may laugh at what you believe. They cannot disagree 
with what God has done in your life. Amen. They cannot disagree with what God has done in your life. That is why your testimony is the most effective way that you can share the gospel message with a non-believer. Your story, your testimony. And you don't have to have all the verses memorized. That's what I hear so many people tell me all the time. Eric, I'm not comfortable sharing my faith with others because I've not read this whole book. Because I don't know all the answers. Because I, I... I don't have a lot of scripture memorized. Neither do I. I don't have a ton of scripture memorized. I don't know all the answers. But I tell you this, I promise you this, if you wait until you do all of those things first, you will never lead a single person to a life-saving relationship with Jesus. If you wait before you have all the answers, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to share what we know. What do we know? We know how Jesus has transformed us. We know what he has done in our lives. And our job is to simply share that story with lost and hurting people. So if you've never developed your own personal testimony, I want to give you a quick little outline. And it's on your your notes today, but it's very simple. It's this. Your life in three parts. I was, but Jesus, and now. I was my life before Christ. Who were you? How were you living? What were you like before you met Jesus? And then, but Jesus, how did you come to accept Christ? Who led you there? Who shared that gospel message with you? And now, how is my life different? How has Jesus changed me from the inside out? Telling your story is the most effective way to share the truth. So we're going to wrap up. I want to tell you some homework. The band's going to come up because I've been smelling chili all morning. I know you have. You're ready to eat. We've got a ton of chili. So eat. Take some home with you before you leave. But listen, here's some homework. If you are a follower of Jesus today and you've never written out your testimony, I want to ask that you do that this afternoon. After you eat your chili, after you go home, make sure you spend some time writing out your story because it matters, because it's important, because nobody can deny what Jesus has done in your life. And then once you write it out, I want to challenge you to share it and tell it with somebody else who needs to hear the hope that Jesus offers. Can you do that for me, church? Two people can. Can you do that for me, church? Okay, if you're a believer, then you write out your story and you share it. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, then your homework is simply to respond. Respond. Right now, I'm asking that you make a choice. Will you accept the truth that has been shared today? That you are a sinner in need of a Savior. The only one who can save you is Jesus and Jesus alone. And according to God's word, the way that you are saved is by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you have a decision, please come.